The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi. Hi, everybody. I'm back. I'm really happy to be back. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I want to welcome you to The Visual Workplace. Here we are again. It's a beautiful summer, and I have yet more to share with you about workplace visuality. Before I get started on today's show, which is called Variable Addresses and ID Labels, isn't that exciting? And you know it is. It's very exciting. <laughs> I want to um, thank Martin Hinckley for uh, giving us two riveting sessions on pokey oak mistake proofing and his highly engineered approach to uh, mistake proofing through um, addressing complexity by simplifying addressing complexity by controlling uh, mistakes, undetected mistakes through devices that we call pokey oaks and uh, addressing complexity through turning settings, uh, turning adjustments into settings. So uh, we call that the SMS methodology, simplicity, um, mistake-proof devices, and uh, uh, turning adjustments into S settings, M- uh, SMS. And it's a, a very, very robust approach. I hope you enjoyed that. My thanks to Martin. I had a wonderful time. When I was away, I was at the University of Buckingham for a conference on, on leadership, on lean leadership. And, uh, I just find the audiences in, um, the UK to be so smart, but in particular, because this, uh, audience, this group of, um, several hundred people were attached to the University of Buckingham and to the program of John Pacino's, which is a Masters of Science in uh, lean and in all aspects of lean, the audience was extremely knowledgeable, and um, the conversation that was attached to the sessions was ex- was almost erudite, really um, practical, but also scholarly. The concepts were uh, addressed both in their theoretical framework and also in how do I apply. So it was really, really great and I so appreciated the invite. I also met some um, wonderful practitioners whom we're going to interview. One of them is Chris Cooper who along with uh, a gentleman named Rob Westrick wrote a wonderful book called Winning by Design which 
makes the proposition, I think, in a very convincing way and as a process that while we are reducing waste, we must also increase value. And the major arena for increasing value will be in your product design. So this isn't as much uh, of getting the waste out of um, product design and product development, although there is a good chunk of that, but it's more how do you build a value in a wonderful book, Winning by Design by Chris Cooper. And we'll also interview uh, a, a delightful gentleman who's extremely practiced in another area of conversion, in the cultural area. His name is Frank Devine. And uh, we'll probably be talking that, to them in September, October. And there's a few other people that I met. One is a forensic uh, visual expert. And another is Carl Wadenstein from Vibeco. So these people have been long on my list, or those two have been long on my list to interview so that you can also uh, hear what they have to offer and I think benefit on it a great, a great deal, uh, benefit from it a great deal. So thank you, John Pacino, and please continue your great work. I can hardly wait to see what happens next. Uh, I do want, I will be going back to the UK in October, November to do some on-site work. I might do some public seminars as well. Please stay tuned. I also wanted to announce that we are doing a public seminar on September 16th, 17th, and 18th in Regina, um, Canada. And uh, we'll be sending out that uh, those announcements uh, this week, I'm hoping. Uh, the first day will be on visual leadership, the model that I've developed that I'm writing the book around. And I learned so much when I was in the UK that I'm going to be making some changes. I'll tell you about that when we start talking about visual leadership. I can, I almost want to tell you right now, but I'm going to resist because we have a lot to cover today. Um, but we'll be sending the announcement out and it will be on our website probably by the end of the week, visualworkplace.com. Let me see. You know, there's something else. Mm, well, I also want to thank you for your emails. Based on them, we've been getting this kind of email all summer. And also on what's happening right now with some of my clients that I'm working with on-site or long distance to help them do a conversion, I want to, in the next show, this will be next week, share some things with you about implementing because this is the frequent theme. I love visuality. I want to do it, but I, I get stuck when I try to implement it. Can you help us get unstuck? There is so much in that regard. Implementing visual is it is a challenge as you implement anything else, but visual has its own particular profile uh, that I um, believe is distinct enough for you to consider as part of your implementation approach as you think about it. But in general, all implementations, all conversions are challenging. And I think the title of the show, it's going to be called, It's the Start That Stops Us. It's the Start That Stops Us. And when we implement, it all feels like the start. It always feels like we got through one hurdle, we're facing another. But there are ways to make that smoother. So I want to uh, kind of delineate that for you, and that'll start next week. I probably will cover it in one show. And after that, we'll just uh, reconsider your emails and some of the conversations we've had with you and fashion um, a series of shows that we think will build value and also help you reduce waste. 
We're using Chris Cooper's theme. I love that. This is the visual workplace, the visual workplace where we embed our own intelligence into the living landscape of work in order for that landscape to become our partner, to to be a partner in our performance and in our own journey to excellence. We build our baseline through devices. Those devices hold our knowledge, hold our specifications, hold our procedures, and give us immediate feedback about whether we're doing it right, doing it wrong, the very thing that we want to do right. By, by putting these devices in place, by inventing this workplace that speaks, the workplace becomes a connecting point for us to learn more about our own work, about doing it better, and also about ourselves. And it's that way in all the great implementations. When we implement these great concepts, they change the physical work environment. They change our work, but they also change us in the process. And from that point of view, this is a total win. Even as we're learning, we're winning. Because we're learning about ourselves and the way that we think. In visuality, we're learning about the the devices. And we know we need to go through cycles. We need to go through iterations. We make a device and we think that it addresses the missing information. We, We conceived of it in order to embed information And even as we do when we use that device, suddenly we realize, wait a minute, I forgot about this part of the information deficit. I get to see another layer of what's missing. And then I go back and I build my device and it becomes more robust until it satisfies me, until I am surrounded by visual devices that allow me to do the dance of work. Whatever that work is that allows me to do the dance of work, If I am a CEO, I do the dance of the CEO. If I'm an operator, I do that dance. If I'm a supervisor, my excellence is embedded in the environment around me. The physical work environment speaks to me, whatever my level. If I'm an engineer, if I'm a receptionist, if I'm on the loading dock, if I'm in charge of facilities, if I'm doing a changeover, or if I'm looking for components in the maintenance store, Visuality is there to help me. It's helping me establish that incalculably valuable condition called flow. Flow that I can control at will because it's at my command. I've orchestrated it so that I can pull when and where I wish and at the speed, at the pace I wish. This is, I want to tell you, this is for CEOs as well. It's exactly for CEOs where you have so many variables. This is what visual leadership is about. It's about structuring that in. And I think I was only partly successful. There I am. I'm talking about it now in, um, in England because what happened is these really smart people began to um, dissect the model. And this is always a case whenever some, someone or some group begins to dissect what I'm presenting I realize to, you know, pull it apart and, and only focus on its component parts, I know that I need to do a better job in conceptualizing the model so I can do a better job in teaching. I need to integrate it so deeply that you wouldn't think about separating one of the tools of leadership, for example, the war room or the X-type matrix or stack metrics. 
you wouldn't think of that because it's all a piece of cloth. So I need to do more work in that regard. But nevertheless, the practices and principles of visual leadership work to give the CEO control of his corner of the world, of her corner of the world, through visual devices. So we're going to, we might start that show in August. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. If we do visual leadership, it'll take us probably six or seven sessions. And um, I think you're already used to the idea that sometimes they're not exactly consecutive because I'm either traveling or um, some other topic has intervened. But today, today we are going to be talking about variable addresses and also its partner ID labels. You know, despite heroic efforts, as I said in the copy that we sent out to you as a notice, despite our heroic efforts to um, achieve one-piece flow or zero inventories, not more than three hours of WIP is usually the way that's defined, many, many organizations are still packed to the rafters with stuff, with stuff. Some of it's stock and everything else is stuff. Now, that may not be you. You may be lean and clean and mean and moving along. But if it is you, even in small part, if, you're not, have, if you have not yet arrived, then what this show is about is about addresses that support finding the stuff, locating the stuff, organizing the stuff, the material. Okay, and such other needs that are connected with material, such as the variable needs of changeover, of machine changeover. If you are in offices and you're listening, there are principles in this discussion that directly apply to your stuff, your files, your reports, your material. Your material, which moves sometimes unpredictably, and I don't mean a big wind has come along. Somebody picks it up, and when they put it back, if they put it back, you're already in trouble. Okay? So we're doing this um, uh, triumvirate called the visual wear that's made up of the border, the address, and the ID label. And we've been spending four or five shows. I think we're on our fifth or sixth show on addresses. We did the same thing with borders. With ID labels, we're going to pin them onto the end of this show because they're pretty plain. I haven't discovered their depth yet. But it's this partnership between the three that enables us to create an accurate, stable, transparent workplace where we can embed flow through our so-called 5S, but in such a robust way and in such a delightful way that the landscape becomes alive and becomes our partner. So as soon as we get back from our this, which is coming up, our first break, we will begin this discussion of addresses, finishing up on variable material handling addresses, and give you some examples that I think you will find useful, and then wrap up with ID labels. Okay, so I'll see you in a minute. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company Gwendolyn galsworth visual workplace expert and award-winning author is available to help you harness and maximize that power with nearly 30 years of hands-on experience dr galsworth shows you how 
through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, Visual Edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to The Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's toll free 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, hi. Welcome back. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm welcoming you to the second part of our show today. Our show is on variable addresses and the ID label as well. And welcome back. This is the Visual Workplace. Just before the break, we were talking about how a vast majority of material addresses are temporary. Why? Well, because material moves. It's the same in offices for your materials, not just your supplies, but your reports and your files, not just things you're consuming, but things you need repeatedly that you're working on and perhaps passing along and they come back to you. It's much the same way in factories. So when you're thinking about an address, you think about this, and this is the question right now, what is different about this address? How do I need an address for material that moves to function and function differently from other addresses where things simply stand still? There's nothing temporary about it. The material is stable. Addresses are the workhorses of visuality on the operator level. Addresses are the workhorses of the visual wear, even in those rare workplaces that cannot uh, support borders, cannot support what you might call the lines on the floor, the boardroom, for example, example, or a very, very clean, clean room, high-level clean room. You can't put borders in there in the marketing department. I have never been able to convince anyone, and I can't even convince myself, to spoil a perfectly gorgeous office with beautiful rugs and beautiful furniture with borders. You know, I give up. It doesn't work for me there either. And I am borders' greatest supporter. I am borders' greatest supporter. Wow. And I said it to all of you. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that addresses can't work. And in fact, addresses are needed more. But these are not just labels that puts the name on things paper, toner. You, you make them robust because you understand its purpose. Because once you get past the, okay, I know this is paper, then other questions come up or will come up, such as, do I have enough paper? How long will the current pile of paper, stash of paper last? 
what is its popular name? Okay, it's called copy paper. But what is its technical part name, for example, to reorder it? Or whom do I call in order to reorder it? All right, so you're building an address because of your use. It isn't just to get you into the neighborhood. It's to get you to the right house, to the right room, and doing the right thing. You go deeper into the address. You do that for all addresses. And you ask yourself when you start working with addresses, and trainers, if you're teaching this, consultants, if you're coaching it, you say, what's different? You ask your group, what's different about this address? And they and folks will tell you, or you'll discover it yourself, and you'll say, "Okay, how can I get the address to reflect that?" So addresses can show replenishment levels and have a little mini kanban. You can show frequency of use. You can show who's responsible, as I mentioned before, for replenishing. The address becomes, in a way, an SOP, becomes its own small closed loop system. And remember, we can have very, very specific addresses, such as I'm describing now, but we can also have generic addresses, the 1, 2, 3, the A, B, C, to give you maximum flexibility. Remember a few shows ago, we talked about generic addresses in a test department that received hundreds of new units every day to test in the same geographical space, and so they com- combined the generic address with a very, very specific display board. In this case, it was a white board with uh, black uh, cells on it. To cr- and they created a, co- a system of complete and nearly instant retrievability by putting the work order, the forklift driver did this or whoever was running the tow motor, would take the traveler, put the, the uh, work order number and put the generic name, I'm sorry, the, um, the product name on the whiteboard along with that generic address, 5. It's in 23. It's in 17. This began to build so much more transparency, they went even further than that. You may remember that I spoke about it. So excellent. So I want to go through, to begin with, talking to you about variable addresses But in this case, they're going to be temporary. A temporary address means it's a home to an item that changes. It changes in type or it changes in quantity. And because of this, the address mechanism itself has to be flexible. But it also has to be complete, accurate, precise, readable, or highly generic, as we said before. So you ask yourself again and again, What needs to be different about this address? How can I maximize the opportunity? So for an example, you will have a standing sign for components that are in short-term storage. That means just a stand. It's on a wooden stand. It has a placard on the back. And as soon as the pallet of goods is moved, the standing sign is either removed or it's changed. Something else is sitting on the floor is sitting on the the rack instead, and you want it to be temporary. And when you have this kind of specificity, you want to make sure to have the generic name and to have the technical name because you need to have instant, clear information, and it's even a good idea to have a photo of the part itself. And that reduces the potential of mix-ups nearly 100%. 
part number 506501-2. We call it the 650 enclosure, and this is what it looks like. Another type of standing sign for temporary material handling or material conversion. So, for example, if you're putting stuff into an oven, that's another need for a temporary sign. You need to know what's inside, and you need to know precisely. And instead of just having a traveler lying on the bench next to the oven, you set up a standing sign, and you put an oven, what's in the oven sheet, and you, one will often see in the use of oven that there will be a listing of times from 10 to 11.30. This batch goes in and please put it at the thus and so temperature. From 11.50 to 1.30, the second batch comes goes in. So the sign is holding that information as well. I should say the address is holding that information. So we only have one place to look for accurate, timely information. And you can just slip the address in with a, a sheet of white paper that changes from shift to shift. Or you can laminate it if you know that it's highly repeated, repeatable and only the times will change and, and the temperatures. You wipe it clean, you use it again. I want to warn you, though, on these kinds of reuses, it's really important to have a specific place for the date and a specific place for who has done the update or who is doing the update. So you have a go-to person. John L. did it. Today is June the 1st. Okay, so you have to have that kind of complete information because you need to have the opportunity for verification. Here's another temporary address. In this case, we're doing die. This one was at Freudenberg NOK in Cleveland, Georgia. Fantastic. They manufacture in that particular NOK plant a range of elastomeric seals and custom molded products. Actually, all of the sites uh, uh, produce that. They have about 30 sites worldwide. But that translates into a very large variety of dye. The tooling is extensive. So in this Georgia facility, they tackled that challenge, and I'm sure it went um, corporate-wide once they saw how perfect the system was. How, How do you deal with that complexity? They developed a flexible storage system built on two key visual principles. One was temporary address and the other point of use. And what they did was create magnets of the full population of dye. And they would bring the dye that would be scheduled either for the day and sometimes for the week into the close, the nearby dye racks close to the machining, the extrusion centers, the machine centers, and put the temporary dye on the rack. These are metal racks. I'm sorry, put the temporary address on the metal racks. So they had complete flexibility. The other die was stored out of the way in order right away, right away to prevent the possibility of choosing the completely wrong die. And then the die were the die that were in use for the day were organized with their temporary address. Could they have gone further? Absolutely. And you know what they forgot, which they later added? They forgot the arrow. So you have these five, six steep. They're still going to be shoulder height. 
die, their small die, and you have your metal um, address. But without that arrow, remember we, we spent quite a bit of time about four shows ago talking about arrows. Without that arrow, you had that micro moment of motion of saying, is this the right die? And you'd pull the die out, and you'd look at the etched number, and you would match it up. But that's all motion. That's all motion. It's unnecessary. Arrows are completely the answer. And the arrows can be separate from the address. So the address, you can use the same address for something that is upper or lower. Just have the arrows separate, but they have to be firmly in place. Or better yet, make room on the same placard to put the arrow up or down in the same placard so you don't have pieces that could possibly fall apart. And also, they were focused on black and white addresses, and I would love to have seen that upgraded to black on yellow because, remember, in a field of yellow, the human eye will spot yellow first. The easiest combination for the eye to read at a short burst will be bold black, solid black, thick black, on crayon yellow. I'm sure you remember I'm sure you remember that as well. So, I want to talk to you about another temporary address. This I only saw once, but it was very very cool, and it may relate in either principle or an exact application to a challenge that you have in getting an address in place. This is an unusual challenge, and this was with a group called Fleet Engineers in Michigan. In Fleet, in Flint, Michigan, they were a wildly creative group, and they worked with sheets of steel. And the sheets of steel were uh, just laid on a great big metal rack, and it was nearly impossible to tell the difference between the different specs of the sheets without special instruments and a lot of time. As a result, material handlers would eyeball the sheets and make their best guess about whether it goes on the first rack level, the second, the third, or the fourth going down, right? So lots of mistakes were made. And this is material that is at the top of the process. So you've got sheeted steel. If you make a mistake, it's going to follow you right down the value stream. And they couldn't, the, the problem was they couldn't find a way to affix an address because the rack itself didn't allow it. And then one fine day, someone noticed that the um, struts were hollow. They were square hollow struts running laterally. And they said, let's just get a little wooden block. And on that wooden block, let's affix the address. And they did that for each level. They fixed the address, and they could. And these addresses were completely temporary. You could pull them out because they were just little wooden blocks, and they were set up in a system so you could choose the right block, and immediately we got the transparency that we needed. You just inserted them as needed, and you removed them as needed. Very, very brilliant solution to what looked like an impossible situation. Do you find this stuff exciting? I love sharing this stuff. I love telling you about it. I love remembering it. I, it you know, it is about human ingenuity. And, and that's really to be celebrated. But I have to tell you what else. It's about the device itself. These are just so cool. And I have a few more that i like to share after our next break. So I will see you in a minute, won't I? Thank you.
the business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, hi. Welcome back. This is Gwendolyn, and you're in the third segment of our show today, the Visual Workplace Show, and we're talking about variable addresses, how to create addresses that really work for material movement, for things that move that either need to come back or you need to replenish because they've been consumed or you, you need to trace, you need to retrieve, how to do that. So we've, we've gone over a couple of three examples using magnets, using standards, standing signs, getting more elaborate with standing signs so that they really speak for you, using little wooden, um, oh, what, what do you call them, little wooden slats, little wooden inserts to help you create the address function when the geography itself really kind of pushes back and makes it hard. So we're going to talk about a couple of more uh, address solutions. We're going to move into the warehouse in a moment. I have a few things to say there. but first, And then we'll talk a little bit about ID labels. And then I want to summarize as best I can our series, which has been, I believe, six shows on addresses. Imagine that. Not just a name on a label, but something that really works, that really helps us. So uh, let me t- tell you about one of the most innovative temporary address solutions that I've ever seen. Brought to us by ta da ta da ta da the brilliant operators at Denison Hydraulics. This was back in the uh, late 1990s. They've recently been re- acquired by Parker Hannafin recently, five or six years ago, and now they're called um, Parker. Um, hmm, they're called. Oh my goodness! Ha! Huh, I'll be darned. My my brain is blank. Maybe I'll find it during the break. But it's a Parker plant in Marysville, Ohio. So I'm going to describe this particular address system. And you will hear many of the address principles that we've discussed in it. But I want to warn you, this is an address system in a high whip plant. A lot of work and process, a lot of inventory, a lot of floor space was occupied by things, 
by pallets. Pallets on the move. High variety of parts. Now, since Parker acquired this Denison plant, they have added the lean piece. But the visual piece kept the plant going for oh, good seven or eight years, and really, I think, made the plant an attractive acquisition for Parker because there was flow, because visuality put flow into place. It didn't put pull into place. That is the purpose, in my estimation, of cellular design, of lean, of Kanban, standard work, that you put pull into place through those devices. But visual created flow. So the challenge was familiar in this plant, a high variety of parts, this time on pallets, that moved in and out of the same physical area. This was a different test cell, and they created a, a solution that was different. And everyone needed to find anything, whatever they needed, quickly and accurately and easily. And that was the challenge, because all of these components, and these were for making high-precision pumps, so these are metal, heavy-duty components. All of the components look the same until you get close to them and you find the traveler, a little white traveler. And then you pick up the traveler and you read what's on it and you go, oh, yeah, this is not what I need. And you move to the next pallet. Because that's the thing about it. It isn't that the traveler tells you that this is the right one. It tells you that it's the wrong one. Hmm? So they, the, the guys put the geography down of borders. They put down a grid of beautiful yellow borders. But they didn't have the retrievability. So what they did, they said, how can we solve it? And what they did was make a yellow placard. There we go, yellow with bold black letters. For each product that could come through this department, and they put these placards, they were laminated, in a sleeve that was the height of a forklift driver. So the forklift driver could come by, pick the right placard. They had them divided, uh, sorted in some way to reduce the universe into packets. So they sorted them by categories. And the forklift driver would come and he would pick up the yellow pallet. And when he laid the, uh, when, when he put the, I beg your pardon, he picked up the yellow laminated placard, not the pallet, the yellow laminated placard with the correct number on it. And then he uh, delivered his pallet and he laid this yellow packard, placard right on top of the unit. Sometimes there were two or three different work orders on the same pallet and he simply chose two or three different yellow yellow placards, laminated placards, and that's the way it was solved. High accuracy with temporary addresses, and it created an exceptional role for a material handler and gave the people who worked in that area pretty instant retrievability. They looked at the yellow placard, and it was big, it was clear, and yes, they did put uh, down special wind, re wind, re wind retardant um, uh, plastic um, plastic curtains over the um, the dock door so that uh, the wind was minimized and these placards couldn't throw, be blown away. That was a consideration, but it was presto changeo. 
It was a beautiful solution to a system in a plant that had high whip that was otherwise, in this particular department, as in many of the departments in this um, very traditional manufacturing plant that was highly visual but not yet lean, lots of people spent lots and lots of time looking for things only to find out that what they were looking for was not where they thought it was. So that's our the last example I'm bringing you today about temporary addresses for material handling. Do you see? Now let's move into the warehouse. And the warehouse is what the folks in the testing department is are experiencing times 10, times 100. So what we want to do is maximize the warehouse. We want to maximize the geography and we want to put information sharing systems in place that will serve us on several levels. Now, I know that many of you have moved to RFID systems, radio frequency systems, and that's very good. If you can afford it, great. Even then, I have a few things to, to, to say that can maximize that, that are still physical. But in terms of the warehouse, one of one of the three components that I like to see is, first of all, person with borders, which we talked about before, so that you are pacing out the placement of your material that's directly on the floor by leaving not a border between them, but a border that is wide enough for a person to go down so that you can check the order or even so you can take a shortcut, but mostly so you can check the order because we sometimes really, really need to do that. The second piece that I like to see in place is airborne signs, airborne addresses. Forgive me for ever saying the word signs. I mean airborne addresses. They're placards. They're going to be double-sided. And they will have a permanent number, for example, for the row. But you can also put a field, a little plastic sleeve, on the same hanging placard that is going to be reachable by a person, so it has to be within reach, that has the specific, the specifics of what's in there today, what's in that row today. So what's in that row today may be product that's going to a variety of plants. And maybe those sites change from day to day or week to week. You just change that part of the address. You don't have to change the whole address, but you've thought through the question, what's different about this address? How can I make it really work for me? How do I need it to function, fun- function differently from the other addresses in this area, but also function fully? Fully and differently, what is it that I need? So you have an airborne address that gives you the flexibility. It gives you the permanence of knowing the row number, 0302. You might even have, if you've got a very big warehouse, for example, in a distribution center, you might even have certain rows dedicated to certain products, the 3700, the 3800, the 57th And that may be part of the permanent part of this two-sided airborne laminated address. But below that will be the temporary part where you put specifically what's there today, what's different today, so that we can not only put 
accurately, but we can pick accurately. The list of plants on a delivery route, for example. Little plastic pocket. So please think about that. And now if you have RFID, here's the kind of thing I like to see. Even though you are barcode dependent, and happily so, why not put the range of numbers of of what the barcode number is or the type of product is in a particular row? If you can bring that kind of coherency in it. If you can't do that, you'll say, oh, no, 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 we've got too much material movement. We can't do that. Fine, okay. What can you do? How can you make it function? Could you, for example, number the rows and put a 3D tab in front as an address, a 3D address? All you need to do there is take a big piece of paper or cardboard or cardstock and turn it into a triangle. The base of the triangle you put up against the strut. The right side, I beg your pardon, you make a a, a rectangular piece of paper, you fold it so that it has a base and it comes together at the top to form a triangle. That's what I mean by a triangle. You put the base against the strut and on each side of the other fold, on each side of the fold, you you put the row number, 47, 26. 61, 62, 63. Fantastic. Because even though your mechanism, your electrical mechanism is using the barcode, the human is using the mechanism and wants to be able to orient. So you're creating a geography that has a coherency that the human psyche needs. For us to feel less random about our work and more, yes, more organized. We didn't do it. The number's up there. But the number allows us to orient. The number allows us to scan the perimeter and know where we are, 360 or at least 180. Oh, I'm at 47. 23 is down there. 64. Yeah, I know exactly where I am. And what's behind me? Oh, my goodness. A big blank space. Okay, well, we'll take care of that later. This is very important for the human factor part of performance even though you are barcoded, totally barcoded. So you you put this little um, 3D tab that sticks out and and you create this triangle by putting two ends of the paper together and then making a a flat piece that can be mounted on a strut with um, duct tape. And you have the beginning of coherency. That is the nature of starting anything. These small changes can be very powerful. You also which I love to see, is I love to see a strut that has all of the barcodes that are in that row on a strut in a uniform, standardized place so that the forklift driver can verify before he goes down that row that the the barcode he's looking for is there. So you'll see a stack of 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 barcodes, preferably in yellow, with a bold bold yellow with the black, black letters. And they can even be numbered, one, two, three, four, five, generically numbered. You can have bin numbers with this triangle shape also to help you find your way. So these warehouses, one of the problems is that they become vast landscapes. They like, they're like moonscapes. There's no way to orient, and yet the human is trying to perform and perform excellently well within that. And if you're not going to do it for yourself, then do it for the newcomer who's learning it for the first time. In six months, he's going to be an expert like you if you have to justify it in that way. 
We're going to slide into our break. I'm late in getting to the break and finish up the show with a little bit on ID labels when we come back. Thank you. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. This is Gwendolyn. Welcome to the last segment of our show today at the Visual Workplace. We're talking about addresses that are variable, that are temporary, and we've kind of gone through that. Now I want to say a few things about the third element of automatic recoil of the visual wear, and that is ID labels. So once the location is claimed by a border and a sizzling address... You put an ID label on the thing itself, the item that lives there. And when you do, you make the match between those three powerful elements, border plus address plus ID label. ID labels are how items find their way back home if they wander off, if they go for a walk, or if they just get lost. And they do it on their own based on the location information that you build into the item through the ID label. The ID label is on the thing itself. Okay? It's similar to a soldier's dog tag. The label moves with the item because it's on it. It can be on it with a chain or it can be plastered on it, but it's on it. Okay? So I want to clear up this one small point because, you know, you have heard me with my hard and fast rule about the visual wear for everything that casts a shadow. Well, it loosens up a bit related to ID labels. Why? Because you can't put ID labels on consumables, even though they cast a shadow. On packing cardboard, on brackets, you're going to consume them. On the bubble wrap, you put the brackets in a bin. You put an ID label on the bin, but you don't, and you put a border and an address. 
for the ID label. But you don't put it on each bracket because you're consuming it. So while you will put an ID label on that red bin on your bench that holds those brackets or those screws, you will not and cannot and should not apply ID labels to the screws themselves, even though they cast a shadow. Same way I can ID my coffee cup, Gwenny's cup, but I'm not going to ID the coffee inside. But you already knew that. So that's the story on ID labels, but you look for the three of them working together. The three of them. Not one of them, not two of them, but three of them. And if you can't do one of the three, you know why. It's a decision that you make. You don't do it by saying, oh, well, I can't figure it out. You say, you know what? I not only cannot figure it out, nobody can figure it out. I cannot put an ID label on these wood screws because it doesn't make any sense but the kind of sense that is based on visual principles, not the kind of sense that is based on tribal knowledge. So that's the story. That's the story of the visual wear. And that's the story of addresses. We talked about addresses as not just being labels with a name on it. The logic of addresses goes far beyond simple naming. It's like a roadmap. Without any street names, without excellent addresses, how are you going to find my house? You're going to miss the party. And in the workplace, we've got shortages and mix-ups and accidents just because of bad addresses and then late deliveries, unhappy customers, and increasingly long lead times. And we also follow the rules about addresses. Remember the rules? You can go back to that show. There are six rules of smart addresses. They have to do with visibility, the yellow and the black. They have to do with size. They have to do with um, arrows. And you can listen to the show again. It was somewhere towards the beginning of May. And then we also want addresses that are precise and innovative. Why settle for okay when powerful and innovative is not only required but delicious? So we want addresses that actually create meaning so that they can become a major part of your operational language. Okay, comprehensive addresses, and I gave you a bunch of those there. 3D, metric versus standard, in that show. That was June the 18th. Then in our next show about addresses, we talked about standardizing too soon. Don't get caught in the trap of creating cookie-cutter addresses. Why? They won't serve you. They'll just name the thing. But you want rich, vibrant, relevant addresses It's one of the hallmarks of a spirited and engaged workforce. They can name things and they can be weird and local, locally weird, (laughs) and have fantastic addresses that really serve, that are different for a purpose. So we change the bar from good enough, which is what happens when we standardize too soon, to excellent. And then in our last show, in this show, we talked about examples of variable addresses for material. So I want to close my riff on addresses with this. Let me see if I have enough time. I wonder if Matt is saying in my ear that I don't have enough time. I need Good, good. I have enough time. I want to talk to you about Joyce, who is a member of a shipping team at Seton Nameplate in Brantford, Connecticut. She was fabulous. She was one of two twins. I'll tell you that story another time. Anyway, she took to this like a duck to water. And 
one day she talked to us, and in fact, we have this on our video, uh, on our uh, visual order video. She said this. She said, I work out back at Seton Nameplate in the stacks, picking products that need to be shipped. Those stacks used to be like a gigantic maze to me. I used to feel like a mouse traveling through it. I could never get to what I was looking for. It aggravated me, and I felt like I was wasting my time. Now that I put visual order in place, border address ID label, I go to where I need to go, get my product, come right back. The first thing that gets great, the first thing that's great about visuality is I'm saving my own time. Everything's in its place. I cleared out the waste. It's all organized and neat. And then she says, my returns dropped nearly 10 a week to nearly zero. My mistakes are down drastically. My returns, whether a mispick or a wrong quantity or the order got the wrong label, are totally non-existent. She says this with great enthusiasm. And she says, and I got an award for it. I had eight straight weeks without a return. No one has touched my record yet. So I say it's because of the visual workplace. (laughs) Prior to that, she confesses, I had my mistakes. And if you've ever seen a picture that we uh, have in, in some of my books, of her uh, work area, she has a little uh, area where her desk is and the sink is, and she has the soap, the sink. It's called Joyce's The Waste Paper Basket, The Bench. It was her way of um, of getting her revenge on people who were picking at her for being so fussy about visuality. She kind of made them ache. So thanks very much. They're playing music. I got to go. I had a wonderful time. I hope to see you next week. It's really wonderful to be back. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.